You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Wonder Woman Edition, WW84 Edition. She runs around in her underwear. She's a great lady. She fights the Nazis. She fights p- mall punks. She, she, she runs around in her underwear. She fights the mall punks. <laughs> Not quite as <laughs> impressive sounding. No. She's played by the, the, the wonderful actress Gal Gadot, an actress of, of great range and dynamic vitality. Where did you guys think as I did how, critical of her because of this movie? You know, usually she's fine. She's fine in Wonder Woman too. She was fine in that train movie. Was she in that train movie? The Perot? Yeah, I think she was actually. I mean, I don't think she obviously I'm joking when I say she has tremendous range. She has no range, but within her range, she's fine. She can perform in front of a camera. I don't know. The big thought I found myself thinking about her in this particular case is they should really cast her with uh what's that actor's name guy pierce because then it would be guy and gal that'd be fun <laughs> to see them on the on the I'm interview going. circuit he'll, sure. he'll probably be a villain in one of her movies yeah he's kind of aged into playing smarmy villain roles in a lot of things but i, I guess he always played smarmy villain roles but i was gonna say he aged into that about 20 years ago or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah he may, he may actually be aging out of it <laughs> into like old mentor or grumpy side character, grumpy color kind of roles. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, we're here to talk about Wonder Woman 84. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it over Zoom because I'm not currently living in Evansville, but I am going to be living in Evansville very soon, Lord willing. I'm signing some papers tomorrow to that effect. Just bear with us on the sound quality, folks. We knew that you needed our thoughts on Wonder Woman 84 as quickly as possible (laughs) so that you could make an informed decision over whether you enjoyed the movie that you already watched (laughs) last weekend. (laughs) Uh, I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host. We've got Ben Solzer here. Hello. The trying to think of some superhero related thing. The the spandex wearing king of mall punching. Nice going, Brain. Good job. <laughs> and why don't you introduce the other guy? The other guy? That's Jake Mensel, the... Oh, man. Now I'm trying to think of superhero names, too. It's not going to work. Jake you is could, a passer. You could do better than the spandex-wearing <laughs> yeah, mall puncher. not say anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, guys... Father figure who just wants to grant everybody their wishes and also make his son proud at the end of the day. There you right. go. Right. That's that is how people think of you, Jake. The emotional evoke yeah, evoke sadness. I had a tear mechanically rant, rung, rung out of me when he went and saw young Altius, and he said, "I don't want you to be a hero. I don't need you to be my hero, Dad. I just love you because I love you because dad. you're my dad." <laughs> <laughs> so bad it was, but <laughs> I will well, admit to being that easy of a touch. I was, but, I was heartless. I was, I was pretty heartless for that too. And I'm a pretty easy touch, but man, it, when it comes to scenes, it, we talk about it with writing and I, I suppose we'll get to this later. Like if your uh, solution is, Oh, we'll just perform the heck out of this. Oh, we'll just be brilliant. Mm-hmm. That was all they did with Pedro Pascal, the entire movie. Yeah. Was, poor go, guy. Go, go be brilliant. Like go make this work. Go make <laughs> this schlock work and make it resonate emotionally. And he performed the heck out of total garbage. <laughs> And it still didn't land. No, but you, I did come away respecting him even more as an actor. Well, I just felt like 
I watched him get betrayed by Patty Jenkins any number of times because there's there's bad takes like there's takes where he's obviously going for the rafters and it's too much, but he obviously doesn't have a character to play. So he's just trying things and, you know, he's he's doing something kind of silly. And Patty Jenkins has a pretty sincere tone in spite of this movie is very corny, but it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be, which is one of its big downfalls. If it, if it leaned into the corniness a little bit, it could probably get away with a lot of things that it doesn't otherwise get away with. But if there's all these to split so many differences. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's, it's insane. really it's really <laughs> weird. This this movie is really interesting to talk about. But yeah, you, you just feel bad for Pablo Picasso or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> you, you could you could easily, I mean, as soon as uh, I can instantly see him making me laugh with a successful couple of takes, especially yeah. if the movie was leaning into the cheesiness, like you said. It wouldn't be hard. He has the, the acting chops to do that. Yeah, and he obviously knows how to go over the top, but his character isn't grounded in anything such that he can go over the top. So it's just like, who is this guy? You got to brace yourself against something if you're going to make those leaps and there's nothing to brace against. That makes sense. You know, there's got to be like a baseline who this character is where you can leap in, leap into things and come back down to that. There's just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I thought of the famous moment in silence of the lambs where Anthony Hopkins just uh, leers at the camera and goes, That only works. I'm sure Anthony Hopkins did 10 things like that, but they only used one of them in a specific moment when the character had already been established. Like you you can't just throw that in without any thought. You have to you have to be playing off of something. You have to have a helps to have a character, helps to have a script, helps to have lines to say. Let's let's take a step back. So thoughts about the Wonder Woman franchise. This is kind of a famous subject. I, people still come up to me on the street. And no one's ever come up to me on the street. But one of Nathan's more successful catchphrases that I hear repeated back to me sometimes from Sound Sanity Mach 1 is that Wonder Woman is a, she runs around in her underwear and fights the Nazis. Yep. So yep. people people seem to resonate with our, our general disdain for the first the Wonder character. Woman. But yeah, I don't know. What do you guys, what do you guys think about old... WW. The first movie, as far as movies go, was actually was actually pretty good. The reason we beat up on it the way we did was because we just wanted to rub people's nose and the fact that she runs around in her underwear and fights bad guys the whole movie. And hello, big picture. But I mean I mean relatively speaking, at least relative to the DC universe, the first Wonder Woman Wonder Woman movie wasn't all that bad. As as a piece of terrible feminist propaganda, I'd say it's one of the more successful ones because right. they've got a warm maternal figure who's allowed to be pretty feminine in every way, except for when she's kicking bad Nazis in her underwear. Yeah, she plays off Chris Pine and and it's cute. And he gets to make the heroic sacrifice in the end even. So there's a lot that as a, as a movie and as a piece of feminist propaganda that actually does work about the first one that just doesn't work. Well, I've never bought... I don't know whether it's me bringing my own just hatred of feminism or whether it's the filmmaking. It's hard for me to parse that in this particular case, but I never bought into the whole, what's the name of her island? Lesbos. <laughs> what is it? Lesbos. Is w- it? W- w- Wakanda for white women. Yeah. yeah. Wakanda. <laughs> white Kanda. There were some black women there. You, you must, man. Yeah. There were black women there. Okay, fine. And, Wakanda for women. Were were any of them in the Wakandan Olympics for women? Were there any yeah. black? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one. 
Okay, that's good. In the Cirque du Soleil. I'm, I'm keeping track of this, yeah, the Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> uh, I've never I've never cared about that place or those characters. That that just all seems really, 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 really silly to me. What I must admit is totally successful about the first Wonder Woman movie is Act Two. Her and Chris Pine being cute together. And her kind of discovering, naively discovering the world of men and the darkness that lies in men's heart. That's a really nice conceit for a movie, and they play it really well. And Chris mm-hmm. Pine is good for her to bounce off of. I could care less about Wakanda, and I could care less about the big slam bang special effects finish. I think everybody hated that about the first one. But yeah, that, that middle act is pretty okay. I, I never, I still haven't ever seen it. I guess I should someday just for completion's sake. What, which, how many movies starring Wonder Woman have you seen, Ben? Only one now, Nathan. Only one? Wonder yeah. WWE. So you're not up on the whole Zack Snyder? Mm-mm, mm-mm. I've watched scenes from it because I like action scenes and I'll go find stuff. But I just, I haven't, I have not been motivated to see the entire Batman v Superman or Justice League. Now that I bought HBO Max in order to watch it's all there. Wonder Woman 1984, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> HBO Max, that's one of those services where it's like, well, I, I could watch Justice League or I, I could watch Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, can, I can explore all the Studio Ghibli titles or Ghibli or however you say that. All the Turner Classic movies that are in there mm-hmm. are so cool. So cool. And the end of the most most classic Turner movie, Turner and Hooch. Is that in there too? <laughs> no, actually, I think that's on Disney Plus. But <laughs> I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. For for whatever, I had never seen that movie before, and let me just say, it's not one to come to the first time as an adult. <laughs> you got to bring some uh, nostalgia and uh, whatever to the mix. Something, yeah. I mean, I like young Tom Hanks just about as well as anybody, but. That movie didn't really do it for me. Huh. And I mean, I've watched Dragnet. I've I've watched some bad early Tom Hanks movies, Money Pit. Okay. You know what I just watched? Maybe I, maybe I actually don't like young Tom Hanks. I just watched this and it didn't really do it for me. I thought that it was pretty weird the way that the movie was constructed, even though he was charming in it, is big. I wondered if that would be the one that you'd pick. I have a lot of affection in my mind for that movie. I don't, but it's, again, it's been a really long time since I've seen it. I couldn't get past the fact, just the central problem with the movie is that they obviously wrote a movie about a nine-year-old being turned into a person, and that's what he's playing, but then they aged him up so that they could do the thing with the having sex with the lady, so they make him right. like a 13-year-old. And Tom Hanks just isn't playing a 13-year-old kid, and so what he's doing is charming, but it doesn't really track with... There's not actually a coherent story in that movie, and maybe that sounds like sour grapes, but... For me, I, I couldn't really get past it to enjoy the comedy, especially feeling kind of slimy about... I just knew somebody wrote a really cute script about a nine-year-old being aged up, and then they wanted to throw in the stupid sex... The sex stuff. Stuff, yeah. and so they never... They didn't actually bother writing that movie. They just aged the kid up a little bit, and there you go. That, that's for free, folks. But we're here to talk about Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> oh, boy. But I, but I think this is why I was excited. Let me let me set up kind of why I was excited to talk about this movie. I mean, you could argue like this is the pinnacle of feminist filmmaking. Not 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 that it's the greatest of pen, of feminist filmmaking, but it's the biggest blank check that yeah. a feminist woman has ever had. Patty uh, Jenkins go. 
Yeah, Patty Jenkins, go. You had a successful first one. Now you can do whatever you want. You have carte blanche. It was even Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot go because didn't she get a producer credit? Yeah, she she did. And then uh, Jenkins negotiated for a big salary. She said, I'm doing this for women. I'm going to make sure that I get what the equivalent male, she, she actually didn't negotiate for franchise. So they had to get her, they had to woo her back for number two, which put her in a really strong position. Usually when you sign the first contract, it includes the sequels, but that's not how they did it on wonder woman, which was good for her. And she almost, she, she threatened to walk, made all the trade papers. She got a huge salary. She got a blank check to do whatever she wanted. And they've already greenlit three. Yeah, and they've they've Can already see that? yeah exactly. Um, apparently, this was like the most watched. I mean, I don't know. You can look up whatever the stats are, but HBO Max felt like it did well for them. It it had a good, a much better theater run than Tenant did, or not run. Its its run hasn't concluded yet, but it had a it had a actually better opening weekend. Yeah, given given where we are in terms of the coronavirus and vaccine and everything, it had a pretty good opening weekend. I think it made 16 mil, which is nothing compared to what it would have made sans virus, but it was pretty good, all things considered. Biggest opening of the year. And so, like, this is it. This is like, this is state of the art. This is somebody who wants to do these kinds of movies, who's in a good position to do these kinds of movies, has every resource at her command. And this is what she came up with which is just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you'll see like uh, sequels always signify a sequel to a success. It always, it's like, okay, now we really see what they had up their sleeve. And if, if it's men in black too, then it's like not much. If it's mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and the temple of doom, then it's, well, actually they're really talented filmmakers, but they didn't have three stories mapped. I guess we see that they didn't have that much up their sleeve besides a character. If it's, the Godfather or something like that, then it's like, oh, well, he really actually wanted to do something more grand and go deeper. And superheroes are actually a really good place. If, if you think about Dark Knight, uh-huh. Christopher Nolan really just wanted to do Michael Mann's Heat as a superhero movie. That's what he wanted to do the first time. Now he actually gets to do it and he's doing it or actually go back 20 years to the old Batman series. Tim Burton had no interest in making a Batman movie. He just wanted to tell some kind of weird gothic psychodrama. And now he's got a blank check to make Batman Returns. And <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops. One of the great Burton movies. I mean, that's a, that is, I would argue, the best Burton movie and a wonderful movie. But the one thing that it's really not all that much is any kind of a, Batman movie for anyone who's just like, yay, I'm going to buy my ticket to see a Batman movie. Uh, <laughs> the, the the Richard Donner Superman movies are the better template for what they're trying to do with, or what they were thinking about maybe trying to do with Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I felt, I felt like they were trying the whole time, the whole way through the movie. And I've seen people say, what did the quote that you threw the, into slack the other day superman wonder woman 1984 is superman 2 with uh superman 4's production quality superman 2's plot with superman 4's execution yeah Yeah. but i felt like they were trying to evoke superman those richard donner's superman movies the entire way through well specifically superman 1 because superman 2 is is richard lester it's much more jokey 
what they wanted is that sincere G whiz quality that the first Christopher Reeve Superman movie captured so well. And, and you see that in the mall scene with the little right. girl watching and she's going to wink and she's going to say, I hate guns. And she's going it, to, it's all very mm-hmm. Christopher yep. Reeve Superman. And, and by the way, I did not mind that that much. I, I guess. Okay. Let's take a, uh, the, go ahead. I don't mind that as a conceit. I mind it. If you can't pull it off and make it work and feel consistent and have a piece throughout the, you can't make up your mind that that's the kind of story you want to tell. Right. Well, well, that's why it's so fast signals. Right. Yeah. That's why it's so fascinating to me. This movie feels like just a a junk heap written by a committee. And maybe it was for all I know. We'll never know. It had several writers. I mean, the writers listed are Patty Jenkins, of course, but also Jeff Johns, who's a majorly important comic book writer for DC. has done a ton of their recent giant sagas. And I've actually read some of his comic book work. And I think Oh, I think he's terrible. I, he's he's incredibly popular. He comes up with these gigantic, ambitious stories. What I've read is a combination of dull and labored and thematically just a mess. Mm-hmm. And did I say dull? Boring. It reminds me a lot of this movie. Yeah, I was going to say. It's not as much of a mess overtly because he has a lot more time in the comic book form to play out his themes. And you're like, okay, fine. You have a structure. You have a thing. You did your thing. I don't like your thing, but you succeeded more than you succeeded in this movie. That's, again, what's so fascinating to me about this movie, though. Like, yeah, okay, it's got a, a group of writers, but presumably Jenkins had the time and and resources to bring it all together. And like, presumably she didn't hit film on the camera until she had something that she wanted. I mean, maybe not, you know, sometimes who knows how these things work. Sometimes they'll just set a release date and everything must bow to that release date. The irony of course, is that their release date got killed, but you know, we're all rushing to do this and we only have so much time and actually we're not happy or we just didn't have a script and we assumed we'd be able to pull it together in editing these are the kinds of dumb things that happen on these tentpole movies all the time. But I think you have to assume she made the movie that she wanted to make. She had all the cards coming in. Yeah. If she didn't, then she had a better shot of doing that than most people have. I mean, this the only hmm. anybody else at Warner brothers has had. Well, since Nolan, I mean, Nolan got a blank check to do Batman exactly the way he wanted to do. And it was a big success across the board for everybody artistically and commercially until arguably the third one. But yeah, they've, they've been much more hive mind committee driven, executive driven since, you know, they brought Snyder in to kind of shepherd things. And then they didn't really like the audience didn't immediately love what Snyder was doing. And they sort of got cold feet and da, 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 da. I mean, people can look up the history on that if they're not familiar with it, but it is fascinating that Jenkins is the one person who's actually been able to have that singular voice who's been successful with it once, I guess. But Wonder Woman was a big success. It felt like an exciting movie that they wanted to tout as important and Mm -hmm. a little bit of that Black Panther social justice feeling on it. It it had the good fortune, I guess, if you want to call it that, to hit right around the time as Weinstein and Me Too and all that good stuff. Anyway, all of that to say, I think, as far as we can tell, Patty Jenkins made the movie that Patty Jenkins wanted to make. And so then my question becomes, 
why did she want to make this movie? What does it say about her? And what does it say about the limitations of feminist filmmaking in general? So my hot take on this movie, basically, I'm just going to say it. This is going to sound so patronizing, but I, I really kind of got done with it. And I was like, that was adorable. That was that was kind of cute, actually. Like we gave a bunch of women carte blanche to make an action movie and they made a Care Bears special. How did they made a movie about be careful what you wish for with the Dreamstone? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is so stupid. This is like a Saturday morning, My Little Pony, Care Bears plot uh, where Wonder Woman saves the day by giving a great speech about how we should all love each other. Like, it's it's kind of adorable. There you go. That's my patronizing <laughs> hot take. <laughs> I, I hope Wonder Woman bench presses you into the sun. Or <laughs> that, yeah, that's interesting. I think it, it is kind of adorable when you put it like that. <laughs> adorable wasn't the word that I thought of, but I did think only only a woman. <laughs> o- only women make this movie. <laughs> only right. women treat the treat the villain in his motivations and give him the conclusion. Like only a woman makes the final after we've gotten through all of our cheesy action scenes makes the final defeat of the villain be a sermon on the beauty of life and the goodness of people right which everyone in the entire world listens to and decides to follow (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) (laughs) because it turns out whenever you let people wish for something they wish for evil garbage or, or they're just their wishes are dumb. Especially yeah. if they're men, because they're if they're men, they just wish for more power. Well, except that yeah, one guy who's who wished for a farm, right? You remember that random lady comes through and says, "Look out!" and he's like, oh, but, "But my cows." <laughs> I wish for like, a farm. Who are you people here? <laughs> I, I, I loved the the diabolical monkey's paw logic of I wished for a farm and it was right here in the middle of the street. Oh no! <laughs> the evil dream lord has subverted my expectations again. <laughs> so, so stupid. <laughs> One critic that I read said, "Oh man, Marvel would have had so much fun with this." And it's true. Marvel would have referenced every movie that this was ripping off and Paul Rudd would have had a big riff about be careful what you wish for stories and th- they would have made all this corniness work by just being super meta about it. I don't always love it when Marvel goes yeah. that route, but I think that's about the only way to make this corny conceit play is to royally wink at it somehow because it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 incoherent. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It can't make sense of it, the message mm-hmm. of the movie. You can just say that the, I don't even know what to say. It's like people are inherently good unless you give them wishes or so. I, I don't know. That, even <laughs> well, that's if, not right. If we, get a, if we give all the power to an idiotic reality star who had a bad dad and just wants to make his son proud. Things could go to to hell really quickly, but all all we really need to do is remember how beautiful life really is and can be. And we can all just sort of recover from that four year nightmare. Well, because I mean, even 1984 was beautiful and you had the nukes and all the crap and all the stuff. And I mean, it's better now, isn't it? Yeah, man, the the politics of this movie are so weird. The fact that they choose 1984 as like this idyllic time that was ruined by Pablo Picasso's stupid plan. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, maybe well, a conservative might think that, but in what world do liberals <laughs> cast 1984 as a... I mean, the best you could say is, of course it wasn't, but it was still pretty great, even as bad as it was. And so isn't now even better. That's the most sense I was I was able to make of it, at least, was like 1984 was terrible, but it was still kind of awesome and beautiful and better than Steve Trevor's world. And mm-hmm. in the world that we're in is that much better than the world of 1984. And so I don't know. Why don't we all just sort of chill out and accept that things are actually pretty great. And now that we got, you know, the reality star, the wishing stone out of the hands of the reality star, we can go back to a beautiful life again. Scintillating political commentary that. Well, you, you do have this, the, the, the dumb opening scene where Diana gets lectured. Mm-hmm. Little girl Diana gets lectured for cheating. About mm-hmm. shortcuts, lies, and cheating, yeah. If, you try, if you're trying, if you think it's worthwhile to make a coherent, get a coherent picture of the theme, it, it's like something like, oh, I don't even know. I feel bad even trying to do this. But like the problem with the bad guy wishes is that they were lies. It was like cheating. Cheating and lies. It's like not honestly attaining. What yeah, that's well, that's the that's that's the moral behind any be careful what you wish for story is don't take shortcuts. Don't cheat. Don't want things that shouldn't be yours. And those are good morals. But this movie is so muddled because yeah. what Pablo Picasso wants isn't that bad. Actually, he just wants his business to be successful. Okay, so he takes a bad shortcut. He makes himself into the dreamstone. But then you have this whole really, I hate this word, but problematic character of uh, Selena Kyle or whatever her name right. is. Mm-hmm. And she just wants to have like good self-esteem and not be trod. Like they yeah. don't establish that she wants anything bad. They, they don't make her deranged until such time as the movie for whatever plot reasons needs her to be. She just wants to be a little bit more like Wonder Woman. Who's awesome. Why well, everybody should be like Wonder Woman. That's the real message of the movie. And so why shouldn't she want to be like Wonder Woman? And then the Nobody movie kinda... can, unless you're Diana Prince. And then the movie punishers her for it, you know, nearly drowned, turns her to cheetah and nearly drowns her. And then fascinatingly in this mixed muddle of a message, we don't come back to her. We don't redeem her. We don't have Diana say, well, you should have been, be careful what you wish for, but come on, I'll, I'll show you how to wear heels. We instead redeem the Donald Trump guy and we just leave her. I mean, it almost feels like only a woman would make that weird mistake. Like it's sort of catty. Like that woman thought she was as cool as, Diana Prince she just deserves to be sad on a mountain no she's but she's she's the only one you don't see renouncing her wish right yeah she does doesn't she no 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 because it I think sorry sorry (laughs) to go into this much detail but no no no. I I just feel bad about it somehow (laughs) but um no she she becomes you know cheetah full-on human animal creature because that dude just gives her right Right. Those those extra powers on top of her already being like Diana. So when he renounces his wish, he loses everything he got and all that he might have granted to anyone else. Okay, so we don't actually see her renounce it. It just gets taken from her. That gets taken, and you're not clear if she might not still have Diana powers. But, but she doesn't renounce it, and she's shown nearly killing the rapist guy. Which is which you know which she never repents of and never says I'm sorry that I was violent that I I don't know yeah but she's uh, they've they've really miscalculated because she was the one character that I sort of liked and felt some sympathy for and then she's the one person in the entire movie that they want to relegate to the monster squad at the end of the movie like she's she's the only irredeemable person 
for for the crime of wanting to not be a mousy trod upon person who never gets any breaks in life. She's the only one who's like irredeemably envious, I guess. That's the message of the movie. But I mean, that's not, she wasn't envious. She was sweet. What gets taken from her by the monkey's paw is her like sweetness and warmth and compassion. And we're supposed to know that because we already saw she brings food to the homeless guy. She does Mm. the things. She's so complimentary of Diana. And then all that goes away and the homeless guy comes out and she's mind your own business. And Diana's little at what cost speech is supposed mm-hmm. to tell us it, it took your best trait. It's the thing that I liked about you, your warmth and your compassion and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I forget what I was going with that, but just like, that's just, a, that's a classic example of telling and not showing in a way that really defeats the movie. Like, right. They're, they're telling us that something was taken away from her, but we, ne- we never really saw her do anything all that bad besides beat up a rapist, which in movie logic doesn't make us emotionally. Might as well be a Nazi. Yeah, it doesn't make us disconnect from her. And it's it's not portrayed in a way that really makes us disconnect from her. You, you don't see so? a close up. What's that? I think it, I think it kind of does. Like, I think it did. She throws him into the truck or whatever. And she could walk away at that point. That man is broken. And then she like keeps curb stomping him and stuff. Yeah, I needed like one more close up. It it does. I'll grant you that. But I still just think in the logic of the movie, maybe if she had already been, if she already had that rage, like a character like that, Selena Kyle and obviously the inspiration for this character in Batman Returns, wonderful performance and the best part of that movie, I think. Michelle Pfeiffer's character, what you what you understand about Michelle Pfeiffer when she goes crazy in that awesome scene where the cats <laughs> lick her back to life. And then she, yeah. she goes and <laughs> probably one of Tim Burton's best set pieces. She goes home and she wrecks her house and she stuffs the little <laughs> dolls down the, <laughs> just the, down the, the disposal. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah. she stitches the suit together and she's, she's deranged. What you understand about her is that this character always had that inside of her. She was, she was a cat woman waiting to happen. Selena Kyle was always angry. It's, 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 what what breaking bad gets gets so right which is that walter white actually never broke bad he was just an angry bitter man who had an opportunity to be more angry and bitter but kristen wig isn't really played that way she actually seems pretty sweet and cool and when she starts doing bad things it's like oh i didn't realize this person was like this that's that's kind of weird they why is she behaving that way that doesn't that doesn't seem to follow yeah i mean it's I, i don't know i what I was tracking with is she's insecure and that's the first sin or something. That's like what the movie told me about her. She's insecure. That's the first sin. And so she, you give her a little of what she wants, even if she got it away, she shouldn't have, she's going to hold on to it and even get violent to defend it. I mean, of, of all the movies, crimes, her character arc is not one of the major ones. I'd say it, it probably <laughs> works about as well as anything in the movie. Uh, and I like, I, I like Kristen Wiig in general, and I like her in this movie, actually. But I mean, if I'm grasping at things to like, then she's probably near the top of the list. Mm-hmm. Especially any scene where she has to act against, what's her face, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, who is so limited. It's like, oh, wow, there's a, somebody, a warm human presence that can say dialogue and stuff against Gal Gadot. That, that really brings these scenes to life. <sighs> ben, you were alluding to, well, I guess we've already litigated the wish. Plot. I mean, I don't know. The moral of this movie is don't wish for things. Kind of. Don't wish to be as powerful as men. 
I don't know. I don't know what the message is. It's it's bizarre. There's mixed messages. You could get kind of a Buddhist light message from it if you wanted, almost. And then that, but it's not like that's a consistent thing in the movie. Don't aspire to be better. People are basically accept that you're a loser unless you're Gal Gadot. I'm a loser, son. I get it. I refuse to be a loser. I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm inherently awesome. We get accepting your weakness and brokenness is awesome and beautiful, but wanting to, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, but it's not even that. It's like the movie kind of condemns Kristen Wiig for being mousy and stupid too. Like you get the impression she should stand up for herself in those early scenes. Like, like she's perfectly pretty. She's perfectly sweet. She should demand a little bit more from life. And, and what she actually wishes for, if I'm remembering rightly is confidence. I wish I was like Diana. I wish I had her confidence in beauty or something like that. And I think the word confidence was even used. Mm-hmm. Tell me I'm wrong, but I, mm-hmm. like, and then she, she, she gets it, but it goes like, what's wrong with a Aspiring to be Wonder Woman. What's wrong with, exactly. Why are we making this movie? What's, what's wrong with aspiring to have a little bit more confidence in the in the good things that God has given you. Well, again, it, I'm I'm sorry, but it just feels catty in a way that a woman's only a woman could make. It it just sort of feels like nerd girl. Don't aspire to be me. I, I'm I'm Wonder Woman. I've got it. I'm the person that's gifted. And stay in your lane. Everybody just needs to stay in their lane. So it's actually like a super snobby flavor. I feel like that taints a lot of nerd properties. Pablo Hidalgo's. Uh, part of the story team at Lucasfilm. Pablo Hidalgo became part of the story team at Lucasfilm because he was a super Star Wars nerd who read all the things and studied all the things and put together a website that was like an encyclopedia of canon, of the old Legends universe or whatever that at the time was canon or whatever. And eventually Lucas or Lucasfilm or whoever hired him. And like, you know, he was a part of making the prequels and like had a cameo and all this stuff and is like the keeper of Star Wars nerddom. And now he spends his time on Twitter making fun of fans for getting emotional about the Luke Skywalker cameo in The Mandalorian. Yeah. And it's like my job is now to hold it over everybody else who was never wasn't as nerd wasn't nerdy enough to become part of the in crowd. And so whatever it is you wanted or thought would be cool. I have to tell you what cool is and it can't be what you expect. It's got to be something different because I am the keeper of nerd cool. And so half of my job is to calculate what nerd cool thinks they want and then subvert it. And like you get that vibe in lots of different places in like these kind of comic book or like nerd culture stories of like, hey, yeah, you know, you thought you wanted this. You thought this was cool, but I'm in control now. And so, you know, I'm now the man. And so Forget all of you people. Yeah, that's Ryan Johnson's screenplay for oh, yeah. Last Jedi. And, and, and Hidalgo was a big part of that, was a big part of mapping the entire sequel trilogy. And, and sorry to bring it back to Star Wars, but yeah, I'm not, but really just like, I feel like every one of these franchises has these people in their ranks that are just like, you know, you use the word caddy, but just like really trying to hold it over people that they're the keepers of who these characters really are. And so they're going to subvert or what these movies really should be. And so they're just going to subvert your expectations or try to pop your bubble. And it's really just mean spirited. And they're, they're going to treat characters that represent you in a really mean spirited way. Oh, do you, um, 
do you feel like the nerdy girl who just would love to be in a room with Wonder Woman and wishes some of her cool, <laughs> confident, cool power would rub off on you? Screw you. <laughs> I mean, if there, if there is one character that the average person can put themselves in this movie, it's Kristen Wiig's character. And she's the only character that really gets punished exactly. by the movie, mm-hmm. which is which is just like a fascinatingly wrongheaded. I, I don't even know how you mm-hmm. begin to make that choice and not realize exactly. It reminds me of, I mean, I, I noticed things like that. I, I think Jake's absolutely right. I notice things like that all the time. The first time I remember noticing it is in season, I think, two, maybe, although they all run together, of Lost. There's this character on the island who is complaining about how something doesn't make sense about how the smoke monster or something. He's like going into all the details and then like they drop some nitroglycerin and just blow him away. And it it makes me mad just thinking about it. It's like your whole brand, your whole show is built on people nerding out about this stuff. And then it makes you angry that people nerd out about this stuff, that people care too much about your stuff and you want to blow that person up. You resent the pressure that you yourself created. It's just so stupid. It's so... Well, I mean, I feel like Wonder Woman is doing that in a more kind of innocent way. Like like it doesn't know, it's too stupid it, to know oh, that's what it's doing? Absolutely. It yeah. doesn't have the capacity for critical reflection because even, even Wonder Woman's little pre-story as the girl, whatever, on Wakanda is about, you know, win the right way and blah, blah, blah. And so then let's just apply that lesson to Kristen Wake, you know? You did used to be sweet and that should have been enough. And it wasn't your fault that the world didn't notice you. It was the world's fault. The world should have bent to you and it didn't. And now it, you, you got caught up in the lie that you had to be something that you weren't, but actually yeah. if you would have just accepted who you were and not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if that's, this, that's right. That's the message it meant to give. It, right. Yeah. And if, if this movie actually had the heart of Christopher Reeve, Superman, then Diana would show up at the end, you know, give her a hand, help her up and say, Hey, babe, let me tell you. And then she would just say <laughs> pretty much in the exact words. That she, would you guys- say, she would say, don't worry. It took me 150 years to learn how to walk in heels. Yeah, which is <laughs> would be an awesome line, actually. Good job on that. You write Wonder Woman better than they do. And I think there's actually another direction you could go, which is you could just say the little people get chewed up and isn't that sad. And you could have it. You could make it actually. You could just hold that shot at the end for longer. And it's like. Oh, look at the tragedy of Kristen Wiig trying to better herself. She's really sad now. That brings some dimensionality to not everything Diana does is necessarily good or not everything that happens in this world is necessarily good. But the movie has no interest in that kind of nuance. I mean, or or maybe it thinks it's giving us that kind of nuance. I don't know. I mean, the the mountain shot really reminds me of what's his face? Michael Jordan sitting on the mountain at the end of the Wakanda movie where we're supposed to be like oh well maybe michael jordan had a point and the chains and the the other way to see this and this again is where it gets so complex and the messages are so mixed it's like diana is ready to give up all of her power and the responsibility that comes with it for love right but that's not more noble or is it more noble well even even the way that the movie is like no actually that was the bizarre thing that you just brought back to my mind a couple of times Steve is like, why? It doesn't matter that it's me. You could love it. There's lots of men out there. You could go love one of them. What about this guy whose body I'm in? It's like, that is a really weird way for you to convince your lover, girlfriend, that she's, that you're too important to her. And that's really what you want to communicate movie. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you love 
people too much and that's part of the problem with your wishes and stop it. Go love other people. I don't, it's just, it was really weird. Well, you just brought back a thing that just shows how careless they are. Like they never thought to address the fact that Steve possessed this guy's body and that there are moral implications to that. There are ways of waving your magic wand and making that not a big deal. I, I think the movie could handle that, but first they have to think, Oh yeah, two good guys aren't necessarily going to be okay with just inhabiting some dude's body. And they're going to have to like talk through that or figure that out or pay lip service to that or something as, as it is every time we're in an action scene, I'm like, oh, Chris, Chris Pine's been pretty cavalier about maybe getting this Porsche love that he possessed shot. <laughs> <laughs> and let's, you know, pretend it's not rapey to <sighs> use this man's body as an avatar for sex. And, and that's where you just want to say they're not making a moral statement there. They're just being really careless and not. But you can't do that in a movie that's trying to make all these statements and it's so political. Right. You just can't that's do right. that. Like yeah, exactly. you're talking Wonder Woman. Like <laughs> we're gonna have a rapist that we're gonna beat the crap out of in a different part of the movie. Mm-hmm. You can't just <laughs> pretend like none of that's happening here. And then at the same time, like you've got this whole other dynamic of how self-actualized is Diana exactly if she has spent the last 70 years being incapable of getting over Steve Trevor? Pining mm-hmm. like, over him, shall we say? Oh, She spent 70 years obsessing about this dude and, you know, okay, it's sad or whatever, but apparently you come from a race of people that has a superhuman lifespan and you're a goddess and whatever and you got to learn to deal with this stuff you were past steve's sell-by date even if he had lived and married you he would have been dead anyway yeah by now what were you gonna do then causes like exactly like it's just (laughs) and so how self-actualized is she really you know and it doesn't want to ask that question it wants to present like that's not a thing okay so she's been incomplete this entire time Mm -hmm. okay like I mean, cool. Doesn't seem to have affected her superhero tell, work. But yeah, it, that's the story you want to—that you're actually trying to tell. It's just so you, you can have her like not intervene in the mall because she's so demoralized by Steve, or you could. But you're gonna have these scenes where she's obviously full on. She's wonderful. She's awesome. She's she's got it together. She is the, the height of self actualization. And then you're gonna have these scenes. Then you're gonna have the dumbest. Oh man. That was dumb. The part where just just talk about bad, obvious writing. (laughs) Diana's lonely. How are we going to show people that Diana's lonely? Well, first, let's have her sitting in a cafe and the waiter comes up and she says, I'm eating alone. (laughs) And then let's have some guy hit on her. And no, I prefer to be alone. And then let's have an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) And then let's go to her house and see all of the memorabilia and pictures and whatever man i felt so insulted like you uh, how dumb <laughs> do you think i am that you need like really really dumb <laughs> nine scenes where she's like i'm lonely i'm alone i i, I mean i mean i guess i can appreciate that they tried to write scenes that showed us that instead of just having dialogue that said that maybe there's like one step above but they did have dialogue that said that when they get together <laughs> With when she gets together with uh, SNL, yeah. like, they Kristen Wiig, and she's like, "You, you, you must have a man, or whatever." And I did, but you know, he was a pilot, but he died, and it's sad. And now I'm sad and alone. And well, it was 80 years ago, but let's pretend it wasn't, or 75 years ago, or whatever. 
Yeah. What what a weird underbaked unbaked movie this is. I, I I guess my other hot take on this is that this this all could have worked if they'd found a tone for it, but they seem really tone deaf. They're they're queuing off of Christopher Reeve's Superman, but and Christopher, also, which and also, maybe you guys haven't seen, but which one? Shazam is also it does like some of the camp all, all reminded me as much of Shazam, which was also trying to riff in some weird ways. It was like, what if Superman met Big? Right. You know? But Shazam's a comedy. Exactly. Exactly. And that's part of why it was so completely dissonant and stupid. Shazam's a comedy. Actually, so is Christopher Reeve's Superman in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christopher Reeve's, Reeve's Superman really beautifully straddles the line of just have slightly having its tongue in its cheek, which makes all the silly stuff with Marlon Brando declaiming in front of goofy sets and stuff work. They, they have a star who's charismatic and they have, they, they know when to kind of wink. I don't know. When you have a silly Care Bears conceit for your movie, there's different ways of making it work. You don't have to be like Marvel, you know, Paul Rudd would just do a, a giant riff about getting wishes and we'd have a bunch of joke wishes and you know we'd 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 just do run we'd just lean into it with humor and with meta textual acknowledgement. That's not the only way to do it. I mean you can you can do a slight tongue in cheek kind of thing like Superman or you can do what a lot of the nineties superhero Burton and post Burton movies or even the Schumacher Batmans did, which is just establish visually that this is kind of a fairy tale world, that this is a heightened reality, that this is not the world that you and I live in, you know, there are ways to stylize it such that body possession doesn't become as much of a question or we're willing to just say, okay, it's a movie, but they really don't provide any peanut butter to make those carrots go down. Any <laughs> <kind of year. laughs> it's really weird. Like Christopher Reeve Superman actually doesn't work if it's played completely straight, but they don't seem to know that they just did Christopher Reeve Superman and asked us to accept it. 100% sincerely. I don't know. I'll stop saying the same thing, but it, it, it just, it boggles my mind. I, I don't know how you make a series of creative decisions that leads to this, unless you're just really tone deaf. Yeah. I mean, what I see is the movie started by trying to be Chris Superman or Superman 2. The scene in the mall is silly. It has this tongue in its cheek. I'm not saying it's done well, but it does right. have its tongue in its cheek and it signals to you, these are silly bad guys. <laughs> Right. But it, but they're, they're it, says, it says these are silly bad guys. It doesn't say Wonder Woman is cool and fun and awesome and cute in the ways that you recognize her and are ready to pump your fist for her being from previous movies. Like the, these types of scenes, like it doesn't matter. The thing of the first Avengers movie where they're trying to bring these characters together, right? You've got this like these action scenes. Where it's like, oh yeah, I know that, and, and that's yep. And he's using the shield, and he's doing the thing, and whatever. And like, it's supposed to like reconnect you to the things that you mm-hmm. know and love about this character already. It didn't do any of that. It was just different tonally than mm-hmm. anything they've done with her before. And it was like the action was over the top and a little tongue in cheek in some ways in, in the first Wonder Woman movie, which was kind of nice. Like it didn't take itself too seriously, but this is just like, uh, it was just, yeah. Well, what I think Christopher Reeve Superman movies always did well in this regard is the joke was always just a little bit on Christopher Reeve too. Not, not so much that it disrespected the character or made you not like Superman or think that he's not somebody that's worth looking up to, but it was always like, 
oh, that's kind of silly. He's rescuing a girl's cat from a tree. And then he's giving people a speech about the, it's, it's what uh, Superman Returns did really well. Right. I thought when he, when he rescues the plane and then he gives so them statistically- all. He's been flying still the safest <laughs> way to travel. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I love I, that. I love, I love to. Yeah. That's Superman. Yeah, like he's, yes, yeah, Superman's just a little bit of a dork. <laughs> That's fine. It's it's part of what gives him his potency and part of what, why we should respect and love him because he's not afraid to be a dork. Wonder Woman, she's so earnest and the movie regards her so earnestly. Like she's never allowed to be just a little bit a part of the joke it's one of the reasons why the mall scene i think doesn't quite land is because it's supposed to be like oh we're in goofy 80s mall world with these goofballs and then it's supposed to be like but wonder woman's 100 percent awesome and outside of that but yeah yeah i mean you're giving me ideas for rewriting the script nathan <laughs> like have wonder woman's outfit be a little on the 80s and have her be winking and nodding at the audience and how silly it looks and then you know have chris pine Ask why she's dressed like that. I don't know. This is fun things you could do. Well, anything to help to evoke what's what's her name's Wonder Woman who they cameoed at the end. Oh, Ooh. I hated that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was stupid. It's really stupid. Wonder Woman is our conduit. She has to be the person ushering us into this world. And Gal Gadot can only play sincere and earnest. She does an okay job with sincere and earnest, but we need a little bit of a Harrison Ford wink here to make all this material work or a Christopher Reeve wink. We, we just need her to tell us how to feel about this. And what she communicates is you should feel really sincere and earnest about all this. <laughs> now I'm remembering some of the slow motion shots in that highway action scene, which was so crummy where it's like, she's flying through the air towards the camera in slow motion. And the look on her face is like, I'm amazed that this is happening, but I'm also kind of worried. And then it'll go to a slow motion shot of Chris Pine. And he's like, whoa, this is amazing, but also kind of troubling. And right. <laughs> just, just, just how even, I don't know, in those moments, it was like, is this comedy? I don't think you mean it to be comedy. I'm supposed to be intensely absorbed by the drama of Wonder Woman fighting tanks or something. But the expression of Yagato's face. We're supposed to be realizing, and this is just another failure in the same way that SNL chick we're supposed to be realizing that the stone took away her power right. is taking away her powers. And right. so it took she's me a like long falling, time to she's falling behind and she's not quite making the jumps and she's, Oh, she's going to get actually wounded. And, but yeah, it took me a while to figure out that was going on too. It was just like, <laughs> which is the kind of thing not, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to beat up on Gal Gadot. I think she's just fine at what that movie generally asks her to do. But just as an example, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, he knows how to sell that kind of thing better than anyone. You know, the, the oh, I failed to make that jump. And here's the reaction shot where I kind of am halfway amused at myself, but also disgusted at myself. It's this stupid scene that overdoes it in, boy, that was close in Crystal, Crystal Skull, Skull or whatever. But yeah. the reason that scene's stupid is because Harrison Ford actually, actually can do that with just a look like, oh, I meant to jump onto the tank but now i'm holding on to the thing and isn't this kind of like mm -hmm. a good actor can really hold the center of gravity in a scene like that and tell you how you're supposed to feel about it uh with just a look and gyalgado for whatever her qualities are can't quite get you over a lot of those humps um and i think that's probably most of patty jenkins doesn't know how to get it yeah no i i, I, I think yeah. that's right i think i think so many times i feel like Gal Gadot's just fine when, you know, she's obviously like, she's a model, you know, I mean, she's yeah. 
She's not an actress who has a lot of technical skills or who's able to just burrow really deep into her own psyche and bring all these emotions to it. But what she can do is react and act and kind of do what you ask her. And so you just have to ask her to do the right things. I mean, you see how poorly Pablo Picasso is, whatever that guy's name is, Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal is treated in this movie in terms of what they do with his performance, you begin to realize, oh yeah, poor Gal Gadot, like somebody could really shepherd her through giving a lot of what this movie needs. But I think Chris Pine's a pretty, pretty great actor and he was pretty flat the entire movie. And even so like his middle act with her was the best part of the movie. Well, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Chris Pine sucks in this movie and I think he's really good, but, and his material that he has to play, is, is, is actually the best that this movie has to offer. But yeah. she just she just asks him to do one note. It's, it's basically like the Spielberg reaction shot as a character. You know, right. the, the Spielberg character who's looking at the glowy thing and then we cut to the camera zooming in on them and they've got a, a look of wonder and surprise. The Spielberg always likes to get out of his characters. Chris, Chris Pine just plays that look of wonder and surprise as a character. About everything. About everything. The whole second act of the movie, yeah, and it's supposed to be the inversion of the first movie. She was the na- the the naive one who was being introduced to the world as it was, and now she's introducing him to the world as it is. And but it's like, yeah, pop tarts are cool, and fanny packs aren't they neat? Oh man, the eighties aspect was so annoying. By the way, they didn't do anything with it besides, like, we set this movie in nineteen eighty four just to score a few cheap 80s nostalgia jokes. We're not even going to have any good needle drops. Like there's not going to be any good 80s music or anything. Even when they're like jazzercising, we're not going to use something from Dirty Dan. Like they didn't even do obvious things. It was weird. Like we we said it in the 80s so we could have one joke about parachute pants and fanny packs, basically, I guess. And so that the title sequence could look like it was done in VHS and make Nathan (laughs) think that his TV was messing up or something his internet (laughs) connection was dying (laughs) well i want to talk a little bit more about the feminist implications of this movie but i wonder if there's anything else we want to say about the movie as a movie she's not runtime oh man no reason this movie should be two and a half hours zero reason for this to be two and a half hours long like if you if it's if you already got a mess at least let people get through it and fondly remember some colorful things but yep. if you make it drag on for two and a half hours, forget it. Like, just forget it. Agreed. 100%. Cut about 45 minutes out of this movie and maybe my perception of it's completely different. Maybe I think, well, you know, that was kind of fun. You know, it's a little thin, but whatever. Yeah. But you went two and a half hours. So it's like you demanded that much of my time and you thought you had something to say and you didn't give me much for it. And uh waste of life never coming back to this in a million years yep. and you were you were about to say something oh just that the action was lame action sequences this director is not good at it at least not in this movie i thought that, the, that this action was really state-of-the-art circa like about 2003 maybe like uh back maybe. back in back back around the time of x2 maybe this would have felt like mm. a logical progression from that or a downgrade no. from that actually x2 no, is better no. Yeah, well, but the problem isn't like effects even. I mean, obviously she's bad with effects, <laughs> with effects <laughs> but it, not in every sequence. But when you have a big fight with Cheetah, it's just boring CG puppets. Oh um, man, that, that was lame. It was so boring. 
perfunctory. But, but but it was it was that she, it was the way that she didn't know how to edit it together and show you like set up and pay off clearly and just all this stuff that like it's like okay I think I know where we are with these tanks and what's going to happen but then I'm like and how did she okay, get the how did she get the special armor? Is she just had it already? Remember she gave. But Steve, she told the story about it, but it was weird. She, yeah, she the, gave Steve. She gave Steve an amazing story. She was like, "This belonged to a woman who held off the hordes of mankind." Yeah, and Steve was like, "Wow." Oh, speaking it's of set up and the original out. Wonder Woman, apparently. Yeah, that was that was lame. I, I, not to be an ageist or whatever, but when when someone's obviously aged out of being able to sincerely play anything like a, a Wonder Woman character, then don't subject us to. Mm-hmm. having them show up in your movie even as a wink plus is that old linda carter tv show actually beloved by by anyone does anyone care about that do women like I've, people, are ob- people are obligated to care about it the same way they're obligated to care about the three 17th century female poets that you know had some poems in a journal that somebody dug up and did a dissertation on mm-hmm. yeah but it, it's bad guess what night rider is bad like 80s tv is, is <laughs> just bad in in general the a team's bad these are bad tv shows i'm glad that people enjoyed them when they were growing up with them but we don't we don't need a lot of nostalgia for for this stuff guys come on I thought that the special effects were pretty bad. Like they still haven't figured out how to do her stupid rope. Her rope look has yeah. looked stupid in four movies now. They haven't figured it out. You'd think that that would be like an e- a really easy one. I- I'm not a CGI person. Maybe it's really hard. I don't know. I'm not trying to beat up on anybody, but I just don't understand why that stupid rope doesn't look better. Well, that and all the swooping going on, <laughs> it just... It's not much fun. It's not like like in the Spider-Man movies, the directors have gotten to play around a lot with the physics of having this dude, you know, whipping around tall buildings at 100 miles an hour mm-hmm. on, a, on a web, on a rope. It's fun. Like you can tell they played around with it. I mean, the least good director for that, I guess, is the most recent Marvel director. Right. Even right. he is all right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, why does Gal Gadot look like physics have nothing to do with anything when she's whipping around on her rope? Well, what I ended up, what I thought during a lot of those action scenes is this is what feminism has reduced us to. We have to pretend like it looks like a woman could do that, but really the emperor has no clothes here because, like, like for example, when Chris Evans holds the helicopter as Captain America mm-hmm. in Civil War, I think it was, we all know that Chris Evans couldn't actually hold a helicopter with his big bulging muscles. But, but what we also know is that he could hold a lot. It seems like a natural progression of what his body can already do. But there's so many scenes in Wonder Woman, like, like for example, when those two vehicles are trying to crush her and she's in between mm-hmm. and kind of straining against them. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't look like, like you don't feel the weight of this character. Like she doesn't look like she has any upper body strength. She looks like a right. toned Israeli model like she is. And so... You don't feel, I mean, it's it's not to say that I've never seen good women action scenes like Trinity and the Matrix or or even, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Scarlet Widow. Black Widow. (laughs) (laughs) Scarlet Johansson. Played by Black O'Hansen. They they figured out how to give her an action style that involves using her enemies' weight against them, that involves like a lot of acrobatics, that involves, it it doesn't involve her having to look like she has... a bunch of upper body strength that she if doesn't you, have. If you wanted that, you'd need that uh, the female Merc, what Kara Dune from the Mandalorian. Yeah, exactly. That lady well, yeah, is grotesquely. Fighter. Yeah, she knows how yeah. to handle herself like a man. Right, and it's grotesque. 
the more you watch her, I don't know. This is it's gross. Yeah, I don't like anything about the Cara Dune character, but at least the Cara Dune character kind of looks like she might be able to do a little bit of what she can do. Yes. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want Wonder Woman to do that. I just think they have to find a fighting style that makes sense for the way that Gal Gadot is built. And too much of this movie is asking us to accept her doing kind of Superman-ish things. Oh, you know, okay. One other just minor complaint, but it really took me out of the movie. I did not like the music in this movie at all. I kept waiting for them to use that awesome tribal. That came up like a tiny bit in the highway fight. I know, but if you have a piece of music like that, then let's just use the heck out of it. Let's abuse it. Like, let's use it because it makes everything awesome. It made Wonder Woman awesome in the first. Zack Snyder, by the way, actually knows how to do Wonder Woman action pretty well. Wonder Woman is awesome in Batman versus Superman. Superman. Yeah, that scene is a lot of fun. Yeah, and and you feel... I don't know. I, I feel like, I don't know that it matters to me if she looks like she has upper body strength as long as the director knows how to get around it or make you realize you're seeing something magical or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's that's all I wanted. I didn't oh. need her to have upper... I, I just thought they, they put her in a position where it underlined what she couldn't do and made her look uh, okay. weird. The way that it was framed, the way that it was shot, the way... It, I'm not blaming Godot. I'm blaming Jenkins for just putting together the action scenes in such a way that it highlighted how phony they were instead of making the phoniness into an asset, which is which Zack Snyder is actually with his mm-hmm. extreme stylization able to do pretty well. Yeah, he did. I like Wonder Woman and the Batman movies zipping around and kind of bashing off of things. And that's cool. That was fine. That was fun. Using her shield, using her sword. Maybe she's just not allowed to use her shield and her sword anymore, which takes something away. But yeah, I, I uh, was going to say I really I really missed that Wonder Woman cue being used more. And I, I really got taken out. One of the moments that probably could have been and should have been and was obviously supposed to be the highlight of the movie, they used a piece of old music. They used John Murphy's theme from Sunshine, which has been used mm-hmm. in a thousand trailers and stuff like that. It's just a really known piece of music it's something that if i ask spotify to play like contemporary kind of uh philip glass or uh, what's that guy's name max richter kind of music it'll play mm-hmm. it'll play this piece so i've heard it a million times but it's when she's flying um when she's when she learns how to fly it just uses that it was obviously the the music that they probably stuck in there as the temp track and they just fell in love with it and decided to use it it actually combines that with an old Hans Zimmer theme from one of the Superman movies. And I was just like, why are we using Superman's music here? Okay. Here's my final question. If we're going with, this is like state of the art feminist filmmaking. Cause this is a woman getting to do a full scale woman's action film with essentially carte blanche. What does this movie tell us about the future of feminism is over? Because it's just really stupid and it falls apart <laughs> in, in, in Act One. In Act Two, we need the man to come back and rescue things. In Act Three, we just need to go into fantasy la la land. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that nobody buys. I mean, I just thought again, not to be patronizing, but it's like if you're going to make an actual feminist action movie, you have two choices. You can either make a really nasty, angry, I hate men kind of movie, Captain Marvel, for example. And in a movie like that, the woman's always just a stand-in man. She's just acting like a man. 
or you can make a movie where the woman acts like a woman, but then it actually becomes a Saturday morning Care Bears special. I mean, I, I was thinking about the 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 classic women's like who are the women action stars that have actually pulled it off. And there are ways that you can combine women's interests with action. I mean, we've talked about it a million times. You can have the woman be a supporting sort of female character that just also kicks people like Scarlett Johansson in Avengers. Or you can give her kind of a womanly goal. Mama Bear is a common one, like Sigourney Weaver in Aliens is going to save the little girl or Sarah Connor is going to save her son or Furiosa in Mad Max wants to rescue the younger women. You can do those kinds of things and you can make it make sense. You can make it make emotional sense to have a woman in an action context. Just curious. Have I have, have either of you seen the newest Terminator? No. It's like 500% the thing you first described, have the women be stand in men and then have them comment about how stupid it is to be mama bears. Right. While being mama bears. Yeah. Anyway, that's what it is. It seems Uh, like people didn't like it. I don't know anybody that even bothered watching it. It seemed like it just people are, people are over. I don't know. I think probably the thing that they'll just keep doing over and over and over again, because it's the easiest way to split the difference is you basically, uh, what, what, what you can't actually do is make a woman's action movie like this because it's stupid. You can't. You, I hope they make a hundred more of them to highlight how stupid it is. I, I, I hope they do too. But the easiest way to actually make it play in a way that the audience isn't going to reject is you just have her be an honorary, not man, because that's ugly, but an honorary boy. And so that's Ray. That's what this new Kelly Marie Tran Disney princess Mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. going to be you can have women slide into the boy role a little bit easier than you can have them slide into the man role although even there part of the problem part of the challenge that they never overcame in those star wars sequels is that ray as a character works pretty well when she's at her most boyish in the first movie when she's just kind of the naive kid like the woman can slide into that role pretty easy but then once she's the actress grew up she got into her mid 20s or whatever and became more womanish it's harder to know exactly what to do with her and you don't really feel the same thrill of overcoming the villain when she melts palpatine's face off and you don't really you don't really know like what's her goal is she supposed to defeat everybody like the, is she supposed to do the classic hero's journey defeat the bad guy find herself and then no longer be allowed in the village and have to walk away like john wayne and the searchers or is she supposed to find a family in the middle of this or where is she supposed to land? Where where are we as an audience actually going to feel good about this? That's a problem that Rise of Skywalker doesn't begin to actually address. So I don't know. I think we're probably just going to see that sort of thing over and over and over again, though. Just women in boy roles is the easiest way to sort of make it work still for a mainstream audience. Or mama bear roles. I mean, that's that that was kind of what they did in the 80s with Sigourney Weaver. We've kind of, for whatever reason, I can, maybe we just don't believe in motherhood. I don't know. We've we've moved past mama bear roles somehow. Hmm. But it's still an easy thing to come back to if you want a slightly older woman character. I, I, that's, that's probably what they need to do with Wonder Woman. They need to give her like a protege or a young person, a daughter or something, somebody like that, that they can, that, that would be the easiest way to make this, to lock this character into something that would be emotionally resonant for part three. Any more thoughts about this cinematic masterpiece guys? Nope. Mm-mm. Did you think that she was modest? 
modesty's more than clothes. No, she wasn't modest. I only asked because I read, so I've, I've read a couple of reviews where they've said, isn't it great that Patty Jenkins is a woman and therefore she doesn't sexualize her star in the way that, and to be fair, I can't imagine like the Michael Bay version of this, which would really, sure. or, or even the Zack Snyder and Justice League version of this, which tended to emphasize certain things about her outfit more than yeah, this, sure. this one did. Nah. That it's saying the Kristen Wig half naked in the gym for a second was like, man, you wouldn't want to take your teenage sons to this. There's plenty of I me. Mean, there's 20 other reasons not to take your teenage sons to this, but that's, that's another good one. Like yeah. it's like a whole lot of flesh on screen. Yeah. It's just like, man, are you serious? Well, the other thing about taking teenage sons to this is, I don't know how you guys were like when you were teenagers, but I, I don't <laughs> know. This it don't take much. Yeah. No, I, no, it doesn't take much at all. Well, and that's that's something that I really resent about this movie actually now that now that I think about it, which is it it sort of demands that young men unsex themselves in order to, I don't know exactly how to say this, but it's like this movie by having its main character be good and modest and yet walk around in mod- in, in in a modest outfit for most of the movie demands that I as a man not respond to that outfit the way that God designed me to respond to it. And so our teenage boys are supposed to pretend like it isn't, there's n- there's no sexual component to walking around in a mini skirt with really long toned legs. And there is, this movie is actually lying about that. It's, we're supposed to just see it as glamorous Greek God, kind of no real sexual component to it, at least not in that way. And, and, and I'm a, I'm a dirty minded jerk for even asserting that there might be, or even wanting to, Litigated on this podcast, but there is. Don't let them tell you otherwise, folks. Jake and Ben are too embarrassed to even speak. Just ready to be done talking about a trash movie. Well, let's be done talking about a trash movie. Any other thoughts, anybody? No. All right. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye, Ben and Jake. Bye. Better luck next time. Mm.